Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, John MacArthur's California Church is cleared by local health officials. They're saying that they are no longer the source of a COVID outbreak. We have the latest in our Shining Light series of stories. This week, we feature a ministry that provides a safe place for children and their mothers who are recovering from substance abuse. But we begin today with the story of the Boy Scouts. Monday was the deadline set by a bankruptcy court for filing a sexual abuse claim against the Boy Scouts of America. The number of claims filed exceeded 92,000, literally 10 times more than the 9,000 claims filed in the Catholic Church's sexual clergy abuse cases. The BSA filed bankruptcy back in February of this year in part to limit the liability of all of these sex abuse claims. And this is a story that was literally decades in the making. Yeah, it really was. Uh, as early as the 1920s, the Boy Scouts started keeping a list of men who should not be allowed to be scout leaders and have contact with boys. However, this list was never widely shared with leaders at the local level, even as that list of names grew into the thousands. That list came to be called the Perversion File. So if the Boy Scouts did not share this with its own leaders for decades, why is it coming out now? Well, it's a great question. Uh, in 2010, about a decade ago, the Boy Scouts lost a $20 million child sexual abuse case. And that case is where it was revealed for the first time that this perversion file existed. Uh, that's one of the factors, in fact, that's at play here in the current lawsuits, because the Boy Scouts had that list for decades, did not make it available to local councils. That failure could be a factor in the sexual abuse of yet more boys, a number that now appears, as I've just mentioned, to be in the tens of thousands. Well, this is obviously a huge and very tragic story. But Warren, why is this a story for Ministry Watch? I mean, we usually cover stories related to churches and evangelical ministries, and the Boy Scouts don't really fit into either category. Well, you're right about that, but there are several reasons why I think that this is a really important story for um, Ministry Watch and for our readers and listeners. Number one, just the massive size and scope of the Boy Scouts of America. More than 100 million men and boys, and some women and girls, have participated in uh, Boy Scouting over the years, so it's just kind of pervaded all of culture. Number two, churches are often the key partners for the Boy Scouts. Uh, usually, churches are the host for Boy Scout troops and Cub Scout packs and explorer posts. So churches have a very intimate relationship with the Boy Scouts and have had for more than a century. Uh, number three, I think it's important that we all pay attention to what's going on at the Boy Scouts, those of us who are in ministry, especially those of us 
who are in youth ministry. Uh, what we have at the Boy Scouts was a massive failure in what is kind of generically called youth protection policies. So if you're involved in a Christian ministry and you've got youth involved in that ministry with you, you need to learn from the Boy Scouts because their mistakes, uh, you don't want them to be your mistakes. And finally, I just also want to mention that there are some great alternatives to the Boy Scouts. And I think our listeners should know about that as well. Uh, one of them is Trail Life USA, which is an organization that I've been actively involved with for a number of years. And uh, they are a distinctively Christian alternative to the Boy Scouts. Well, those are all really great points. But I bet a lot of us are probably wondering what's going to happen, do you think, uh, to the Boy Scouts? Well, the Boy Scouts uh, is a massive organization, at least it has been historically. It has tens of millions of alumni, as I said, more than 100 million people have participated in the program over the years. Uh, so it likely won't go away anytime soon, and some vestige of the Boy Scouts will probably exist for some time in the future. But my best guess, and I've been uh, covering this Boy Scout controversy for a lot of years is that it will survive, but probably in a dramatically diminished state. Uh, the Boy Scouts seem to have realized that its best chance now is to own its past mistakes and try to pick up the pieces and uh, make something out of those pieces uh, going forward. In fact, in a statement, the Boy Scouts of America said that it was devastated by the number of lives impacted by past abuse in scouting. The organization said that it had sought an accessible process for survivors to seek compensation. And they also said that the response that we have seen from survivors has been gut-wrenching. We are deeply sorry. But for a lot of boys and men, that's far too little, far too late. Well, Warren, let's move along and discuss some new developments related to John Gray, a pastor in South Carolina. What's the latest there? Yeah, John Gray was an associate pastor at Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church in Houston before moving to Relentless Church in the upstate of South Carolina in uh, 2018. But ever since he's arrived there, there have been all kinds of controversies. He's faced charges of unfaithfulness in his marriage as well as lavish spending. One example of that is that uh, he lived for at least a season in a $1.8 million home that the church bought for him. Um, these accusations of infidelity, as I mentioned, um, affected his marriage. He tried to make things right with his wife uh, by buying her a $200,000 Lamborghini automobile as an anniversary gift. Uh, but that gesture backfired as well. It embarrassed his wife and it generated yet more criticism from the world at large. Well, that is pretty bad. And I understand that there's even more. Yeah, the latest scandal is really broken just within the last few weeks. Uh, in August, uh, social media and entertainment news websites uh, had pounced on uh, John Gray again because of uh, videos and other um, uh, material p photographs 
posted by a Houston woman. Her, she, her name was Mary. That's the only way she was identified. And that she claimed that she had sent Gray uh, inappropriate photos and that he had sent her money in exchange. A couple of days later, the Greenville News, uh, Greenville, South Carolina, reported that Gray's attorneys said the woman was trying to blackmail and extort Gray, and they called for an FBI investigation. But then Gray posted an online video that offered vague apologies to his wife and to the church. In Gray's online confession, he said that he's undergoing intensive counseling and seeking guidance from other leaders. He also said that he might disappear, his words, disappear for a while. And he did, only to uh, surface last week. Yeah, that's right. He was he only disappeared for a few weeks, and during that time that he disappeared, he actually preached at least once in his church. But on November 6th, Gray posted a long and rambling Instagram post saying that my life wasn't in order. I never knew what consistent discipline, planning, leadership, manhood, or personal holiness in action from a man's standpoint looked like. Okay, are folks buying the confession, or what's happening at the church? Well, people uh, are not buying this confession. A popular blogger named Shanna Pennick uh, said in a blog post that went viral that enough is enough. She said that Gray's behavior and even his confessions are embarrassing, both, to again, to his wife and the church, and that he should step down altogether. Uh, in October, when Gray said he was going on sabbatical, as I mentioned, he continued to deliver sermons via video. And meanwhile, Relentless Church isn't answering questions questions about either Gray's problems or his ongoing status with the church. Warren, let's look at one more story before we go to break. We've been reporting for months now how Christian ministries have been responding, in some instances, heroically responding to the COVID crisis. But as the crisis wears on, a lot of ministries are showing signs of fatigue. Yeah, they are. Uh, I guess that's to be expected because all of us, I know I am showing signs of COVID fatigue myself, but new data shows that uh, some are actually fighting for survival due to uh, increased government restrictions and decreased donor funds, while others are being crowded out altogether by government assistance programs. A national survey conducted by Creating healthier communities of about 730 nonprofit organizations found that 95% of the respondents, and by the way, this included both Christian and non-Christian organizations, had reported decreased funds with an average revenue loss of about $2.8 million for these ministries. Uh, More than 50% of these ministries said that they had cut services. 30% said that they had cut staff. And these cuts are coming when there's an increased need for services. They sure are. In fact, a quick example, the Central Texas Food Bank said that they had seen an increase of 200% more people requesting food. Uh, a, a distinctively Christian ministry called Scarlet Hope in Louisville, Kentucky, is an organization that ministers to women in the sex industry, has also seen an increase in women needing practical help, supplies, assistance, food, clothing, and shelter. So the ministry has launched hope for her to give more immediate resources to women leaving the sex industry. But Scarlet Hope, at the same time that they're increasing these services, had to shutter the door 
doors of its Scarlet Bakery earlier this year. The bakery had opened in 2015, and it was providing job training and opportunities and revenue uh, for these women fleeing the sex industry and going through their ministry programs. But I don't have to tell anybody probably that food service, restaurants, and bakeries just like this one have been particularly hard hit by COVID. The ministry, as with many others, has had to cancel its annual fundraising gala as well. And it's an event that they normally hold every fall. I remember a couple of months ago, we reported on a study by uh, New York City-based Candid. And Candid is a company that provides data and information for global and U.S. philanthropies. That study said uh, in a worst-case scenario model, uh, as many as 40% of nonprofits could close due to COVID-related revenue shortages in the next three years. Yeah, I think that's more of a sort of a data-driven conclusion that uh, sort of reinforces the anecdotes that I just mentioned, Natasha. The candid model is just a projection. In other words, it may not come to pass. Hopefully, it won't come to pass, and it will be better. But in Kentucky alone, this actually has happened. 4% of nonprofits in that state have already shut down. Another 25% are reporting uh, staff layoffs or furloughs, and those numbers seem to be growing month by month. Well, Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, an update on Pastor John MacArthur's fight over COVID restrictions. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, let's continue with news that Los Angeles County has cleared John MacArthur's church of being the source of a COVID outbreak. Yeah, Los Angeles public health officials have lifted all outbreak-related restrictions and requirements on the church. Uh, The county requires that churches report whenever at least three people test positive for COVID-19 within a two-week period, uh, which public health officials consider to be an outbreak. That is their definition of an outbreak. In mid-October, L.A. County reported that four people related to Grace uh, Church, which is John MacArthur's church, had tested positive for COVID-19. According to Grace, three of those sick with COVID were employees of the church. So in fact, there was an outbreak at MacArthur's church. Yeah, that's right, at least according to the government's definition. Now, MacArthur and his attorneys have argued that four cases in a church of 7,000 people should not be defined as an outbreak. In effect, they wanted a different set of rules for their church and maybe other larger churches than the rules that had been put in place for all other churches. But of course, that cuts both ways because if you have a lot of people, that's also a lot of people that can catch it from the four. So, you know, it's 
it's kind of hard to tell, say, who's right and who's wrong in that particular situation. But whatever the rules, it's likely that they were not being followed by MacArthur's church anyway. Since July, the church has defied government bans on indoor worship and has gathered thousands each week for Sunday services. Many of them don't wear masks or social distance. MacArthur and the elders of Grace have said that meeting for weekly worship is the church's duty and that the church will not be subject to Caesar, but to God. Also, last week, a superior court judge set a January 15th date for a contempt hearing that was... um, Uh, Contempt charges were placed against uh, MacArthur's church for violating these rules. The judge uh, said that he would allow Grace to depose county officials and call witnesses at the hearing. Well, Warren, let's turn the story to one that hits pretty close to home for me here in Colorado. Yeah, uh, Preston Pitcher uh, was born and raised in Durango, Colorado, not very far from you, Natasha, a town of about 20,000 people, uh, which is kind of in the four corners area of southwestern Colorado for those of our friends that might know that part of the world. He grew up attending the youth group at First Baptist Church in Durango. About a decade ago, the church hired him to be their youth leader. Over the past five years, though, He apparently used his position to lure at least four students into overnight outings that included uh, incidents, episodes of sexual abuse. And for that to happen over a five-year period is pretty disturbing. Yeah, it is. But one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this story is just that circumstance. Because on the one hand, this is a you know small church and a fairly small town, and uh, you could make the case that this is you know just a local story. Why why are we talking about it here on Ministry Watch? But this story should be a warning to pastors, deacons, elders, and ministry leaders. The fact that this youth pastor was well known and well liked had caused the church to relax its normal policies, which should have included so-called too deep leadership at events. They should also, of course, never uh, allow circumstances where leaders and youth are go on overnight trips alone together or uh, stay in each other's homes alone together. Sexual abuse, in fact, is rarely a random one-time event. It's usually the outcome of a long period of grooming by the abuser. That's really helpful information. Now, back to the story, what's happening to the abuser in the church? Well, senior pastor Jimmy Thomas said that he first learned about three of the alleged incidents uh, in June. He promptly notified police, which, by the way, is what he was required to do. There's no sort of pastoral exemption for this kind of an event. Um, You are required to notify the police in virtually every state now. Um, They terminated Pitcher right away. He was arrested on June 22nd. So far, four victims, an additional victim has come forward. Uh, Pitcher uh, faced four counts of unlawful sexual contact which is a misdemeanor offense in the state of Colorado. It carried a punishment of 60 days in jail, four years of supervised probation. And just last week, he pled guilty to those charges. He'll be sentenced on January 12th of next year. Uh, The Durango Herald, the local newspaper, said that Pitcher met the victims in his role as a youth leader. He befriended them, and only later did he make the sexual advances. Uh, Pitcher allegedly invited 
invited the victims into his home, and they agreed to stay overnight. Some of the victims said that they trusted Pitcher and thought of him as a third parent, which again causes me to say all churches and ministries that work with youth should have clear youth protection policies in place, and the workers, the kids, and the parents should know what these rules are, and so that if there's been sort of a breach in the rules, that they'll immediately know that it's time to speak up when things are not being done according to the policies. That's really great advice. Thanks for sharing. Well, we have to take another break, but when we return, we're going to take a look at a New Hampshire ministry that is making a positive difference in the lives of children and their mothers who are trying to recover from substance abuse. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, I'd like to continue with a money story. It's about the rate of giving to disasters. Yeah, a new report just out uh, says that almost one-third of U.S. households made a disaster-related donation during 2018, which was the year uh, that uh, this particular study looked at. The average gift was $83. That totals about $3 billion given by individuals uh, to disaster relief uh, activities. I should note that this $3 billion was just a portion of the $76 billion in total spent on disaster relief in 2018. That money came from private, public, corporate, and individual giving. And uh, the report was, by the way, produced in cooperation with Indiana University's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Warren, that brings us to our final story of the day, and the story of a ministry in New Hampshire that has been around for about 50 years, quietly and effectively providing a safe haven for children and their mothers who are struggling with substance abuse. Yeah, it's in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's called New Life Home, and it currently has 12 women and 17 children in residence there. Uh, Participants in New Life's programs receive uh, holistic care, not just for a few days or weeks, but for 18 to 24 months. It's a live-in program that includes healthy meals, exercise, uh, care for the children, access to a clinician on staff, as well as recovery coaches. The program consists of a Celebrate Recovery course, a class in relationships and sexuality, parenting classes. I could go on, Natasha. There's a whole lot more. That is wonderful. But the numbers kind of sound a little basic and small. 
Yeah, that's right. And that's, you know, honestly, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this ministry and why we wanted to feature it on the website. Because even though having, you know, 15 people, or in this case, 12 plus 17, about 30 people uh, in your ministry sounds like a drop in the bucket, consider this. These people, when they graduate, won't come back. Nearly 90% of the more than 1,000 people who have gone through New Life's program leave as self-sufficient members of the community, able to care for their families and to break what for many of them has been a generational cycle of poverty and substance abuse. So it's, it's in some ways, small really is beautiful if you are small but go deep and really change the arc, change the trajectory of these families' lives. And I should also mention that New Life doesn't take a dime of government funds. 100% of their funding comes from churches and private donations. Wow. I absolutely love that. That's amazing. Now, earlier in the program, we mentioned how COVID has impacted various ministries. Has it hit New Life as well? Well, it really has, uh, primarily by limiting the number of volunteers who can do work there. The ministry typically would have about 20 or sometimes more volunteers passing through the facility on any given week just to do various jobs. Uh, That number is down to about five now. It's a big disruption, but so far the ministry seems to be hanging on. To find out more about New Life, you can go to ministrywatch.com. The story is right there on the front page. Now, Warren, what else do you have for us before we go? Well, first of all, Natasha, I have a correction and apology for all of my friends in Texas. Uh, Last week, we did a story that included mention of the grocery store chain HEB. The only problem is I pronounce it HEB, which was, I found out, deeply offensive to many of my friends in the Lone Star State. HEB is a beloved institution there, and I've had a few Texans who heard my mispronunciation tell me in the words of Lyle Lovett, that's right, you're not from Texas. Uh, I began to get concerned that I might have uh, one of them administer their manly footwear to my saddle-facing side, as they sometimes say. So, in hopes of preventing that, let me just say that I apologize to the good folks of Texas, and the next time I'm in Dallas, I look forward to buying some of you a cup of coffee at Central Market. (laughs) Well, thanks for the correction. Do you have anything else? Well, just another reminder that our weekly conversations here are summaries of the content that we post every day on the Ministry Watch website. In fact, here we just touch on the highlights. If you want to go deep into any of the stories we've discussed, you can go to ministrywatch.com. Also, a heads up that on this week's Ministry Watch Extra episode, I talk with Dr. Robert Myers, who is the president of Tacoa Falls College, a small college in Northeast Georgia that is bucking trends in Christian education because they're not only surviving but thriving. We talk about what they're doing and why. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Bethany Starin, Adele Banks, Warren Smith, and Christina Darnell. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith, and that's right, I'm not from Texas. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. 